Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. We're back, and as always at this moment on Friday, we're joined by our political expert from Washington, Bob Nay. Bob, hello and welcome. Well, hi. I don't know how much expert. And you got a new theme. That threw me off, by the way. <laughs> theme song. <laughs> Bob, uh, <clears throat> let's, as, oh, as, as, as is our habit, we need an update on uh, the Speaker of the House. But let's, let's start by uh, going to Israel and talking about Benjamin Netanyahu and his effort to simultaneously fight a war against Hamas while holding on to political power in Israel. We haven't talked much about the political situation in Israel. Uh, can you can you take us through that? Well, yes. In fact, uh, it hasn't been highlighted in media a lot, but there are some stories, some of them running today. Of course, Netanyahu, uh, who I have personally met with in Israel and met with in the United States both, but he he always has been a polarizing figure. So I want to just kind of make that clear. Very aggressive, uh, you know, a polarizing figure, and um, he's been in and out of the role of prime minister. And particularly recently before Hamas attacked, he had some problems in the court system, and he was doing something that caused an outrage. Over 10,000 people were going to the airport and protesting. Now, the reason I mention that, it does tie in, because a lot of people that were reservists to do military duty in Israel were not um, uh, going to show up for it because of, you know, Netanyahu's actions, et cetera. Then, of course, Hamas happened, and a lot of people did show up. But there's one, an attitude that he kind of weakened the system. That's out there. Uh, within Israel. And then also he's being uh, criticized for waiting a lot of days to visit the families of over 240 people believed kidnapped. So he's being criticized for that. And then also he blamed his security chiefs for the whole problem that erupted because I must, I I have to tell you, uh, Kevin, it is a, uh, an amazing breach of security and intel for Israel when this happened. And so he started blaming his security chiefs, and then he had a huge backlash for that. So he deleted a tweet where he was criticizing them, but his opponents say, well, the damage you know, is done. So his status in Israel has tanked. However, Israel, I don't believe, uh, can afford to change governments, obviously, at this point in time. So Netanyahu is going to stay within the government of Israel. Okay. And at the same time, the United States Congress is, I think the House just approved a funding package for Israel. Uh, Students at Columbia University walked out of Hillary Clinton's two-hour lecture to protest. I'm not exactly sure what, uh, but uh, we've got free Speech issues going on in this country. We've got anti-Semitism that is on the rise and showing its ugly head. Uh, and the and we have a new House Speaker that is trying to take money away from the IRS and to give it to Israel in a political move uh, that is, I guess, intended to have put leverage on the Biden administration. Wow, take us through that. 
<laughs> well, that was that's a tough one. To, I think you did a pretty good job of of laying out, you know, what's happened uh, all over the universities. There's a pro-Israel, pro-Palestinian, and I've got to throw in pro-Hamas because there is a difference with Hamas and the Palestinians, of course. But uh, there's a lot of debate on the campuses. Hillary Clinton, I guess, is teaching a class of of type at Cornell, and they the students waited thirty of them. To halfway through, for some reason, I'm not sure why, and then they walked out on her, and then she exited uh, through a side door after that, and didn't answer any of the you know media questions. And they were they were protesting what's called doxing, which I don't know. I guess I'm old. I don't know what doxing is, but I, I guess your face is put on places, billboards, or trucks. And there were some students; their identities were released that they had signed some pro-Palestinian. Um, I don't know, petitions or something, and their faces were put on the sides of trucks, and those went around the campus. So that's what the students were angry about. seems to be just as much in America, you know, a huge debate over all of this uh, as there is maybe over in Israel. And, of course, there's a lot of anti-Semitic behavior and attitudes. And then a, a Palestinian boy was murdered, a six-year-old boy. We know We all know about that. So there's a rise on Islamophobia, and all of that has come to the United States Congress, where uh, and and a, I did a radio show where they were criticizing the speaker for how he did the four, fourteen point seven billion. I've got to tell you, I thought it was actually smart because he took it out of the of the funding for the eighty five thousand IRS um, investigators, which I think anybody knows in office that. Those people are not necessarily going to go after Bill Gates and Bezos and and anybody else. They're going to go after the average person. So I don't think that one politically is too damaging. It's going to be interesting to see what the Senate does. Bob, you raise a great point. With your experience in Congress, i got to ask you this. Having been audited a couple of years ago myself and having our life turned upside down, I, I, I said to my wife, it's enough to turn you into a Republican. Uh, because, the, the, you know, the, the IRS just bears down on you, ruins your life. Uh, and then you read, you know, newspaper stories about Jeff Bezos not paying any taxes. Uh, wh- I guess my question is, why don't these IRS agents go after uh, the, 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 the hugely wealthy that, have, that are paying less taxes than the rest of us? Well, my my answer to that is the average citizen is a sitting duck. And, and I'll make this real quick. In 1988, I believe it was, I had to hire an attorney because the IRS did away with a per diem legislative deduction from the Ohio legislature, which every single member, 132 people, received. And so I took in my paperwork, 132 people get this deduction. I'm, you know, I'm one of the 132, 133, and they disavowed it. I had to hire an attorney. At that time, I paid $1,500 in the 80s to hire an attorney. And at the end, the IRS admitted to me that they they were doing a guerrilla audit on me, that I was correct from day one, but it didn't matter. It's a process they have to continue the audit. It practically ruined my life at the time, just like your comment. And I think that the average people, you know, average citizens are susceptible. If the IRS says you owe us 6000 and then you don't hire a lawyer or you try to fight it, they compound interest on that. And pretty soon you're looking at 7000 8000 10000 
But if you're uh, one of one of the big boys, you've got lawyers and accountants, and you know you can you can stave this off for years. So that's why I do argue when they say, "Oh no, they're going to go after the you know the big guys." I don't believe that. I think that that the average person. Now, if people are cheating, that's one thing. But the average person who makes a mistake is the sitting duck because then the IRS says, you owe us another 5,000 interest. What are you going to do? So you make a settlement for the first five you owe them. And that's how it runs. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a something that's on my top 10 list of things that Democrats sort of screw up, which is, God, if I was president, first thing I'd do is call in the IRS commissioner and say, stop going after the little guy and uh, go after the big money. And uh, but sure. you're right. This is a political issue that favors uh, the new speaker. Tell us how the speaker is doing at the moment. Well, he's immediately demonized for a lot of reasons by, you know, the Democrats in the House, of <laughs> right. course. Uh he, he, but he survived, and right now, and I think he will survive because I think the Republicans should be terrified to throw this one out. I mean, they're going to have to live with you know some of the things he wants to do. But there's a lot unknown about him, and of course, a lot's coming out about how you know ultra right conservative he is. But let's see where the House really goes. They have moderates in the House in the Republican side, so. Uh, they might get conservative on some of the bills, but uh, again, I think he's smart enough, the speaker, that he will probably try to make some adjustment for some of the moderate Republicans. But he's definitely uh, conservative, no question about it. Is there uh, d- d- is there a leftover uh, political damage from the the, the speaker kerfuffle? Uh, that's going to hurt them in the midterm in the election in 2024. That's a great question. It kind of all went away because it was such a nightmare, and I mean it—a nightmare, political nightmare—and it sort of all went away. So right now, it's the calm, but it could be the calm before the storm. If this all acts up again, I think that they are really headed towards losing the house. So right now, they got a little bit of stability. Now they'll argue, people will argue about policy, but if they continue to do what they did in the last month, they, meaning a small group, you know, 6% of the Republican conference, if they act up and do uh, situations out front that cause nothing but disruption for the Republicans instead of public policy, I think they're in deep trouble and maybe irreversible. All right. That is our weekly update from the great Bob Nay. As always, Bob, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you. We're back. I'm I'm Kevin Ellis. And our next guest is going to talk to us about a a group of empty uh, buildings in downtown Burlington, which contributes to the notion of a city in decline uh, and, and uh, whether real or not, it is an issue. It's going to be the issue in the mayor's race coming up. And I, as I mentioned, we have Karen Paul, one of the announced candidates, coming on the show at 1030. But right now we're joined by Colin Flanders at Seven Days to talk about this story. Welcome to the show, Colin. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, whether it's the former Bove's restaurant on Pearl Street uh, or, the y- or the former YMCA or the Walgreens Pharmacy, What's going on there? 
Yeah, so we decided to take a look at um, a number of privately owned commercial properties and the city-owned memorial auditorium. So the city maintains a register of vacant buildings, and these are defined as those that have been unoccupied for at least 210 days. So as of October, that included 11 small residential structures and then the six privately owned properties plus memorial. Um, Obviously, that's not a lot of buildings, especially if uh, people who are familiar with other cities. Those numbers are obviously very small. But we we were interested in this story because these buildings have kind of taken on an outsized role in the perception problems that Burlington is currently facing. Part of that is because some of these are really big buildings, right? The former YMCA, Memorial Auditorium, these are in the heart of downtown, and they have really been um, attracting a lot of the um, uh, unsavory behavior that it, that people are pointing to when they start to say things like Burlington is not safe anymore, the feeling of Burlington has changed. Um, there's no one reason why all of these properties are languishing. Um, some are tied up in litigation. Some have had proposals that have fallen through because of financing. And then some have owners who are currently reluctant to dive into a a redevelopment project at this time because of various factors, including the high cost of uh, construction, the high cost of labor. Um, so, So we took a look at each individual property and tried to figure out what was going on. Um, there is some good news. For example, out of the old YMCA, I know a lot of people have been really frustrated with uh, the deterioration of that building, which was really like a community hub for a long time. Um, it's changed hands a few times, and now it looks like there is some movement. There has been a zoning permit that uh, passed its appeal. Um, appeal period, and there is hope that construction could begin on a a six-story apartment building there um, sometime next year. On the other hand, there are some buildings like the Bove building you mentioned where there does not seem to be any movement anytime soon. Um, So you're totally right that this is going to be an issue uh, heading into the mayoral race, and this is an issue that the current mayor is also focused on given his development background. Uh, why is this happening, uh, Colin? Why, why are these buildings being left empty? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a, it really depends on the building you're talking about, but I think there are a few things. Um, right now, it is hard to build anything. I mean, uh, interest rates are high. Construction crews are hard to come by. Material costs have risen dramatically. Um, and city regulations require owners of buildings um, both historic or those in the downtown core, which most of these buildings are, to have a redevelopment plan before bringing in uh, the wrecking ball. And so that's why we're not just demolishing these buildings, leaving them as vacant lots, um, which the city itself says it doesn't really want either. Um, but developers need to have a plan in place, and that can be difficult in, in the current market. And, and some property owners are waiting for the market conditions to change. Um, I think there is also a question of whether there is an appetite to be investing a lot in Burlington right now. I think we've talked to some developers who have raised that notion. But I think you also look at there are still apartment buildings going up. City Place is finally turning the corner. So there does, at least among some people, appear to be um, interest in in a desire to build in Burlington and the thought that you can still make uh, money doing it. also, it's important to note, too, that some of these buildings are owned by um, longtime uh, Burlington families, the Bows, the Handy family owns a couple of the buildings as well. They own a lot of properties, and sometimes I think these, these vacant properties 
fall to the bottom of their uh, attention list uh, for, for whatever reason. Um, but th- there is no one reason. I think it's, a, it's an amalgamation of all of these different pressures that developers and property owners are facing right now. Uh, I know that your publisher, uh, Paula Routley, has written about the, the, the bad state of the, the, YMC, the old YMCA building. What does Mayor Weinberger say when you ask him about these buildings? I, I see there's a comment from him in your story that says that he doesn't think that Burlington has that big of a problem. Yeah, and he, yeah, he definitely does not think so. And I think, I mean, he does make a good point, right, that um, cities are always going through periods of transition. Some of these buildings have only been vacant for a few years. I mean, some of this is to be expected, right? Um, I think it's it's sort of just the timing. Uh, maybe five years ago, we might not have written this story or it might not have uh, jumped out at us as clearly, but um, I think it, it fits into this conversation that's going on about um, while there might not be that many, the ones that are here are uh, having an outsized impact. People um, are seeing the YMCA, they're seeing Memorial, they're remembering how vibrant they used to be, and they're seeing um, them deteriorate really quickly. Um, and I think that's frustrating to a lot of longtime residents. Um, but the, the mayor's point is that um, he thinks that a, a handful of these properties will be redeveloped within the next few years. Um, but he does say some of them um, also have owners who, who don't seem as motivated at the moment, and the city is considering what it could possibly do to encourage, uh, to nudge, to uh, maybe even look at some more sticks to, uh, to convince these owners to do something with these properties. I saw. I see that the mayor is going to ask the city council uh, for some action on the Memorial Auditorium, not just the, the auditorium itself, but the entire block. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So um, this has been a, a thorn in the mayor's side for uh, some time now. I think the city uh, the Memorial is the only building on this list that the city owns, and so it does have a lot more control over its future. Um, right now, instead of focusing solely on Memorial, this time the mayor is going to be eyeing, eyeing the redevelopment of the entire uh, so-called gateway block, which is kind of a handful of properties around Main Street, the entrance to downtown. It includes a city parking lot, um, two privately owned properties, including the former home of the Midtown Motel, which has uh, since been demolished. Um, the mayor uh, has kept his plans a little close to the vest. All he could really get out of him is that he's going to be asking counselors for conceptual approval to explore a public-private partnership, um, which could include looking at financing options, conducting appraisals. Um, one challenge here is that the city clearly does not have an unlimited amount of money to spend, um, and, and so it's, it's looking for some ways to kind of extend what it can do. But also one thing to make clear here, too, is that um, Memorial has um, a big question has been whether to preserve the building or demolish it. Um, and that's, that's been something that's kind of weighing on it. It's whether the city should maybe reconsider, um, do we need to keep Memorial the way it is, or could we uh, consider maybe demolishing it? And that might make it easier for someone to come in and do something else with it. Um, I think that we might hear some more movement on this in the coming weeks. You know, Colin, as someone who covers Burlington and 
and from me, someone who spends a fair amount of time there, I'm fascinated with this issue of is Burlington worse than it used to be or is it just that we pay closer attention or is there a pre-COVID fentanyl uh, uh, epidemic that really is making things worse? crime-wise, mental health-wise, et cetera, break-ins. Uh, we're going to talk about that with Karen Paul right after we talk to you. What, what's your make of it? Is, is, you know, is, is Burlington worse off than it used to be, or is it just something that is a perception? Yeah, I mean, that's a really tough thing, and that's something that we have been grappling with in the newsroom for some time now. I mean, obviously, anytime you write something like this, we run the risk of kind of feeding into this perception that may not be true. Um, I think there are a few things that are kind of um, objective, right? The drug crisis has worsened. We're seeing it in the numbers. We're seeing it in the data of the number of overdoses, both fatal and non-fatal. The crime statistics are bearing some of this out. Um, Some of just like the the quality of life issues, we're seeing like the the immense amounts of graffiti and, tr- and, and, and trash, whether it's syringe litter or things like that. I mean, as someone who, who has been around here for a little while now, I mean, you can, you can definitely see some of the changes. I think where the conversation starts to fall off the rails a little bit is what to do from there. Does that mean that, um, does that mean it's a public safety issue and that and we need more cops? Or does that mean we need to help people get into treatment? I mean, it, obviously, that's, it, that's where this issue becomes political. But I think the thing to keep in mind here, it seems like more people are indeed struggling right now. And that's often with drugs or mental health crises. The homelessness issue has uh, become more prevalent. It's really hard to find a place to live in Burlington. Um, I think it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to say that the city hasn't changed. Um, but the, I don't think I, I guess I wouldn't want to describe it as Burlington is worse off. It's just some of the issues it's been dealing with for some time are becoming more visible for various reasons. They are worsening, and um, it's going to be a challenge to, to address that. Um, I'm interested to hear what these mayoral candidates yeah. have uh, proposals. Well, uh, in in the minute we have left. Uh, why doesn't the city do something more about this vacant real estate problem? Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 sort of similar to why doesn't the city do more to, for example, uh, crack down on uh, uh, problematic landlords or um, or things like that. I mean, the city I think has long adopted a posture of trying to get people into compliance through conversations, through appealing to their better nature. And I think that's often usually, um, it usually works out. And, and you have to keep in mind, the city has to work with a lot of these people for, for long periods of time. So um, I can see why they might be reluctant to start, for example, taxing these buildings more or levying heavy fines. At the same time, I think they are they may eventually reach a point where they're, they're uh, appealing to someone's uh, better angel isn't, isn't working out as much. And I think that conversation is starting to happen in the city of, of doing need to do more. Okay. Colin Flanders, as always, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take care. Colin Flanders, seven days. We'll take a break. We'll come back with Karen Paul running for mayor of Burlington right after this. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV.
I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. And in our series of interviewing all the candidates running for mayor, our next guest is Karen Paul, a longtime Burlington City Councilor and currently the president of the city council. She announced her candidacy this week. Karen Paul, welcome to the show. It's good to have you. Hi, um, Kevin. You can hear me? I can hear you. Okay. All right. Just wanted to make sure. I'm sorry that I can't join you in person, but thanks so much for giving me the time. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for coming on. So let's get right to it. Um, What makes you the right choice to be the next mayor of Burlington? Well, thanks for asking the question. Um, I as you, as you know, and as I think you may have mentioned in your, uh, in your preface, I grew up here. Uh, I have raised three children here uh, in Burlington with my husband, Mark, and my mother and grandmother before me um, were also born in Burlington. I'm incredibly proud of the service, the public service that I have given to a city that I love. Uh, public service is really a part of who I am. And, you know, Burlington is not only my home, I consider it my family. Um, I believe that I am the right person to lead us through the challenges that we find ourselves in. And while we have a great deal to celebrate in Burlington, we do have a number of uh, serious challenges. Serious challenges call for serious solutions. And I believe that I, um, together with everyone in the community, uh, that we can find those solutions uh, that I'm the person to be able to gain the broad support that it's going to take uh, to uh, solve our challenges. Um, and mostly I say that because I have a proven track record of not only working decisively, but also collaboratively with all voices. Um, I'm ready to take the bold steps that I think we need to take to ensure that our community's values and priorities are honored. And um, I'm incredibly excited for Burlington's future. Uh, that is that is a lot of the reason I'm running, um, and as well, I, I do feel that I have the professional skills to lead the city, uh, the interpersonal skills and demeanor, and the political connections and background to be able to work with um, to work with everyone. Uh, you one of the main issues, obviously, is public safety, and. Uh, you issued a lengthy and detailed uh, public safety plan this week. Uh, maybe you could boil it down for us. I mean, I, I just spent the previous segment talking to Colin Flanders of Seven Days about empty commercial buildings around the city, Memorial Auditorium, the YMCA, the Boves building. Um, whether reality or not, it, it, we sort of agreed that it, it lends it lends itself to that perception that Burlington is somehow in trouble. Uh, maybe you, you can boy, talk about that and also talk about your public safety plan. Okay. Well, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a lot to answer in one question. That's a lot to answer, but I'll try. Um, the public safety plan um, Take your time. boils down to, <laughs> boils down to three parts. Um, it was founded on, uh, you know, on, on research principles of crime deterrence, harm reduction. Uh, It is in line with the 2021 police rebuilding plan that was approved by the city council. 
um, that I voted for. Um, and it also includes the ongoing plans that we have for our downtown. Um, you know, the article that was in seven days, which n- noted a, a number of properties, um, some of those properties are, you know, are in the process of um, some very exciting plans. Uh, on Monday, we will be discussing uh, the first phase of hopefully going to a development agreement on Memorial Auditorium with a public-private partnership. Um, And I think that was mentioned in seven days as well. Uh, The YMCA, the activity that is going on um, at City Place, I was actually at City Place just a couple of days ago and went up to the South Tower um, that is under construction. You know, uh, in a very short period of time, less than a year, uh, there will be another 67, 70 units of housing. Uh, by this time next year, there will be a lot more people living downtown. And uh, so I'm very optimistic for Burlington's future. Uh, the public safety plan takes into account that we have to – a public safety plan isn't really a plan unless it works in tandem with everything else that is going on in the city. Um, of course, we need to ad- address the drug crisis. We need to address the crimes that come along with the drug crisis. We need to treat mental illness. Um, we also need to build the downtown core with expanding housing, storefronts, improving infrastructure, uh, the main street, uh, streetscape upgrades, and all the other things that are going on that we're already working on. Um, so, the, pu- the public safety plan incorporated all of that. And what I did uh, was I, uh, the plan that I've, I've started, it's obviously still a work in progress, goes through on a month-by-month basis with breaking it down from short-term goals and solutions to intermediate-term to longer-term. And it's a three-year plan. Uh, it starts now in November of 2023. A couple of the things that are already in the plan are things that are even already underway that I've already started. Um, but it goes month by month into November and December and then onward into the winter. And then, you know, as I said, part of the part of the other aspect is all the other things that are going on in the city. Um, one of the things that I mentioned as a short term uh, under the short term category is that um, on April 8th of next year, we're going to have a generational event, a solar eclipse. We're going to be fortunate enough to be right underneath the path of the solar eclipse. And that will that will probably bring over 100,000 visitors to our city. Um, this is a great opportunity for us to showcase Burlington. We can do that as a community. I'm proposing a Green Up Week beginning on April 1 to welcome the arrival of visitors to, to Burlington. Um, that's part of the plan is just, you can, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is that public safety must incorporate everything that's going on. And, um, and that's what I've tried to do in the plan that I've come forward with. And it's clear from your plan that this is not about the, the sort of old arguments about more police or less police. Uh, it, it feels like it's about better police, but uh, talk more about the police department. I know that it's got a, a headquarters that is uh, is somewhat in question. Tell us about the police department in Burlington. What's its status and what do you think its future should be? 
Uh, well, the as far as its status, um, you know, the, the police department is not, as you said, Kevin, is not the police department of, you know, 50 years ago. We have a lot of other um, public safety responses. Uh, we have uh, uh, CSLs, CSOs, those are community safety officers and liaisons. They work in different ways, either by addressing um, what are considered lower level um, in calls for service, as well as calls that really require um, a, a social worker uh, type response. Um, and so there's those responses. There's also um, one of the things that I also had mentioned is the Burlington Cares Project, which is hopefully coming online. That is very similar and was modeled after the successful CAHOOTS program that is in Eugene, Oregon. It pairs medical personnel with social worker response for uh, mental health calls for service. Um, so there's all these things going on under the umbrella of what we are referring to as CAPE, which is um, an arm of public safety. Um, CAPE stands for Crisis Advocacy Interve Intervention Programs. Then we also have our fire department, an amazing fire department, and then we also have our sworn officers. Um, the sworn officer headcount at this point is hovering right around 70. Um, my, uh, uh, my public safety plan uh, does uh, one, of the, one of the things that we are going to need to do very soon is to fund recruitment bonuses. Um, I voted in favor of the first recruitment and retention bonuses in 2021. Um, that money is running out and we are going to need to fund that in, able, in order to be able to continue recruitment bonuses. Um, but, you know, what I have found, Kevin, in talking with, uh, with police officers and police leadership is that while recruitment bonuses are important, what is also incredibly important is that police officers feel supported. Um, and that was um, that I made clear in the drug crisis resolution that we passed um, on October 10th. I am going to be encouraging the full city council to participate in a photo that will be used for marketing purposes and recruiting officers um, with all of us, you know, all of us together with the simple tagline, we want great community cops. Um, the other thing that we that I have found in talking with police officers is that, again, while while money is certainly important, what is also important is that they have a good place to go to work. And that's why part of the public safety plan is to uh, to do some needed upgrades to one North Avenue to the police headquarters. Uh, there's a number of you know, the building is not a new building. And it needs to be upgraded. And we also need to find more room for the other um, police responses. It's just the building. We've outgrown that, that building and need to work um, on finding other places um, for some of our some of our uh, some of our responses to be located. Um, in addition, uh, we do need to increase street outreach. Um, and uh, that is also something that I call for in the plan. Karen, I wonder if you could tell us how you differ from the other announced candidates in the race. Well, I think what uh, differentiates me from the other candidates in the race, and I first want to preface this by saying that, of course, I know both of these women and uh, 
um, respect the work that they have done for Burlington and done for our state and community. Um, I think what differentiates me is that um, I, I have the professional experience that truly a mayor must have in order to do the actual work of being a mayor. Um, and, um, and I say that, you know, because I've done that work, I've been doing that work. Um, the other, uh, the other uh, thing that I, I think I have that uh, separates me from the other candidates is really having the ability to hit the ground running, um, you know, certainly, and I've certainly tried to show that over many years, but certainly feel that I'm showing that um, with a public safety plan that is detailed, that's bold, that's actionable, um, and that uh, is adaptable and flexible, um, uh, a plan that I feel will galvanize our community to action. Um, I, I also have a proven track record of bridging divides, and I say that not words, but in actions. Um, a, city a city council president, I inherited a council that was uh, pretty fraught with contentiousness. And uh, today, uh, together with everyone on the city council, have cultivated uh, working relationships um, with each of the councilors that I serve with. Um, and I think that comes from a place of who I am um, as a person um, in, in being able to develop real and genuine esteem for people across the political spectrum um, I know that the people I served with, serve with um, have a sincere love for our city and respect for the democratic process. Um, we are all dedicated to the offices that we hold. Um, and I think that being able to develop that real connection with people um, in a way that brings people to action is something that I can bring, um, I can bring as mayor. Um I'm asking this question of all candidates, and I know it's fraught with uh, potential sexism or whatever, but I'm going to ask it anyway, whether the candidate is male, female, has kids, doesn't have kids, doesn't have family, whatever, because I think it's important in the political climate that we find ourselves in. How do you balance personal life, family, friends, kids, no kids and the demands of political life that is more demanding and more sort of exposed uh, than ever, even in some cases dangerous to, to, to the candidate. Uh, this is not a, a, a good environment we're in. How, how do you, you know, why bother, I guess, is my question. Well, the reason, is, the reason that I'm running is because, uh, well, for, for the reasons that I've, uh, I've sort of stated earlier, and that is that, uh, first of all, I've never been more optimistic that we can overcome our challenges than I am right now. Um, you know, I, I, I serve the city of Burlington every day. I wake up every morning uh, trying to figure out what is the, what's, what, it, what needs to be done today. Um, and I will continue to do that, uh, you know, if I am fortunate enough to become uh, mayor of this amazing city. Uh, I, as far as, you know, as far as um, the, those kinds of challenges, I don't, I don't really think about um, them a lot in terms of, you know, whether or not they would, 
whether or not I would I would think about whether to run or not to run in terms of what you what you mentioned, Kevin. As far as um, you know, as far as family and home, um, you know, I have I do have three wonderful children. I have an incredibly uh, incredibly supportive uh, uh, family, incredibly supportive husband um, who has made it possible for me to do the work of a city councilor. And I know um, will make it possible for me to do the work if I'm fortunate enough to be elected mayor. Um, and uh, I, I do consider myself very, very fortunate in that regard. Um, I don't know how, I don't know how you could do it without having a supportive family and a supportive network of friends um, uh, that are there for you. Um, but I, I, I guess as far as the only other thing I would mention in terms of. You know, the city of Burlington has not elected a woman mayor. Um, I am running for mayor. Uh, certainly, I do feel that representation matters, um, but I'm running for mayor to be a mayor for, for everyone. What's the first thing you do when you walk into the mayor's office after you get elected? <laughs> uh, I, I think the first thing, <laughs> the first thing that I would do uh, is... Uh, probably convene a, a meeting of department heads, um, talk with people, uh, get us all as best I could on the same page and uh, and hit the ground running from day one. Uh, that is what I said in my announcement speech, that I am fired up and ready to take on the challenges we have at this pivotal, pivotal time in our city's history. Uh, and the one promise I can give to every Burlingtonian is that I will go to bat for them every day. And and lastly, in 30 seconds, what, when is the uh, Democratic caucus in the city? Well, I can certainly answer that in, th- in 30 seconds because it's an easy answer. Uh, it's December 10th. Okay. So December 10th, voters go to the Democratic caucus in, in Burlington to decide whether to make you their candidate. Is that right? Is that how it works? Yes. Um, the rules haven't quite yet been worked out, and I don't know what the time is of the caucus. Uh, there is going to be an opportunity to register online. There is a link that um, that can be sent to anyone who wishes to register. Um, if people want to get that link, they can certainly uh, come to me and go on to the uh, go on to our website, KarenPaulBTV.com, and uh, register for the caucus. I believe there will be an in-person opportunity, but I don't have all those details yet because they haven't been worked out. Okay, Karen Paul, best of luck to you. Thank you for coming on the show, and uh, best of luck. Thank you. Thanks so much, Kevin. I appreciate it. Okay, that's Karen Paul. She's running for mayor, and there are three women in the race right now. We'll get to them all. And that is our show for today. Time flies when you're having fun. My thanks to our guests, Karen Paul, Cassandra Hemingway, Phil Dodd, Colin Flanders, and Bob May. I'm always looking for guests who will provoke us, inform us, and challenge us. So please send me your suggestions. Hit me up on Twitter or Vermont Viewpoint at VT Viewpoint at RadioVermont.com. Remember, you can stream the show live and the show becomes a podcast at WDEVRadio.com. So you can listen there anytime. As always on this show, we'll...
I'll talk politics, media, and culture, and everything else on my mind and yours. Reminder, I am here Wednesdays and Fridays. You can find me at KevinKEllis.com, where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter called Conflict of Interest or my podcast by the same name. Check out this week's episode. I, uh, I did some writing about the Kennedy assassination, and we have a podcast on the same, on the same, sh- on the same subject. Our show is produced by me, engineered and made possible by Danny McGivergan and Lee Cattell and all the folks at WDEV. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Kevin Ellis, and we'll see you right back here next Wednesday on Vermont Viewpoint Live Radio on the friendly pioneer WDEV.